Hey, we're back to <laughs> Ephesians. <laughs> now the theme is you guys. I want to do, do twenty plus weeks no. of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, 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 Ephesians. Do, 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 do. I, 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 that might get old one day. We'll see <laughs> how many weeks I can keep this up. Oh, I, I have a lot of faith in your ability <laughs> to do that. <laughs> you just keep saying how annoyed you are. I'll be like, okay, and then I'm gonna keep it going. We are talking about week two of Ephesians, which is titled Paul's Prayer Part One, where we're going to move past the first two verses. Well, so here, here's, the, here's the problem with those first 14 verses. Uh, in the Greek text, it is one sentence. This week is like three through six, and next week is like three through seven? Ten. And, three through 10. And the next week is three through 14, because there's so much in this that sets up the rest of the book that we really just cannot parcel this out in that one long sentence. We have to do each piece of it. This week is really about election and God choosing us in his grace. And people have so many questions about what these words mean and how dare God choose me. We have to understand who God is in his being, in his person, and God is loving and gracious, and he has called us to himself, which is which is just beautiful. And I think if we can rest in that, I think it can lead to a, a depth of speaking and sharing and living in the gospel that we don't presently even really understand. Paul, when he, when he starts this, is going to speak about how the Christian context really for prayer is exhortation of who God is. And the first place you really see that is in, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And that's where it starts. He chooses us. And again, that's one of the most comforting doctrines if you can rest in it and not fight against it that I think we could ever understand. You know, God, why are we believers? Because God's that good. Not because we're that good, but because he is. And then so we understand that we are saved by God's grace alone. And when we understand this word for how we, we are drawn to God himself, it carries the connotation of a starving man or woman looking for food, being drawn to food. And so God creates a hunger in us to, to know and love Jesus. And the word know in the Bible, it's not just this intellectual word like we want to turn it into. The word know in the Bible is a word of relationship. You know, because when Jesus in Matthew talks about the sheep and the goats, I never knew you. That's not, I didn't know about you or who you were. It's, I didn't have a relationship. We, we weren't in relationship with one another. To know someone is like this personal verb in the Bible to be in relationship. And God brings us into relationship. Now, people then, they do not like the idea of election. They, they want to run from that. And they say, that means people don't have free will. And it always makes me want to pull my hair out because we have in America, what's what's the big deal, deal about free will? <laughs> like, I want to do everything. None of us have ultimate free will as much as we think we want to. Ultimate free will was we would be able to see all of eternity, know all the decisions that everybody else makes, and then make our decisions you know, on our own, not influenced by anything. But we don't. All of our lives has everybody else's lives thrown into the middle of it. And so none of us truly have free will. We're always informed by how we feel and what has happened to us. God is the only one who has ultimate free will. I, I think that the Bible doesn't say that a human being can't choose God. I think what it says is that human beings don't want to choose God. We will never want to choose God. We are incapable of choosing God. We're incapable of wanting it. 
And so God changes that want in us to want to desire him. Um, and people say it's unfair, and that's because we don't get God's sovereignty. And this makes no sense because most of us don't understand God's grace fully. Uh, Christianity, C.S. Lewis, who was not reformed in his theology at all, still said that when he was saved, he was decided upon, that God decided upon me. He goes, there's nothing I could do but come to him because God did this work in my life. It's really only unfair if everybody deserves it when the truth is nobody deserves mm. it. People say, if it's all predetermined, why then do I need to do anything in my life at all? Like God's going to call those people. He, he's going to save them. That it that also doesn't understand God calling us to work with him. If we, if we love our dad and see the goodness of who our dad is, we're going to want to work with him. We're going to want to be involved in, in what he's doing in the world. And really the big problem comes down to then why doesn't God just save everybody? And the real reason the answer to that is, I don't know. But I know that God is good. And so we can never divorce these type of doctrines from the character of God. And so I think really the question comes down to what do we view God's character to be? Do we think that God is like us and that God is capricious? Or do we view that God's character is really gracious and loving and holy and righteous and just and that God is God has come in the person of Christ to save us? What do we view God's character to be? And I think if we trust God's character over any human view of what we think God's character would be, it puts us in a place where we can trust this idea of election and God's choice over us. You look at it from a funny point of view, like, why is anybody saved? Paul will say, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So I guess, if anything, you know, God chose us because we were the dumbest and the slowest <laughs> mm -hmm. and the weakest. Mm -hmm. So, yay, I guess we did have something <laughs> going for us. You fit that bill. Yeah. All the time. How do you encourage people to figure out uh, God's character? How do you encourage people to, on their own and in the midst of like a GC setting, really determine not just feelings of God's character, but truth? I think holding up those experiences and feelings alongside the truth revealed in scripture, seeing maybe where those converge or where they diverge, being willing to challenge them where there is a discrepancy seeing how God has demonstrated his love. I mean, ultimately through the cross, but there are also so many countless examples throughout scripture too, where you, I mean, it's, it's consistent, right? That's something to just admire and, and love about God is his consistency and the fact that he doesn't change. And so you see these facets of his nature, you know, across these different circumstances and different people groups and, you know, um, all throughout scripture. And so I, I think that stability gives a really just firm, um, almost like a sounding board, I guess, right? We can trust in the stability of it based upon our own like vacillating experiences. I think that when we see things in scripture that make us question God's goodness too, we need to ask, is that because of how I see it from my cultural view versus what is actually taking place in the Bible itself? Because too often we misunderstand what is there or why it is written. Uh, in a couple of weeks, you know, Paul's going to talk about this idea of, of boasting and, and, and why we boast. And we think of boasting as bragging about stuff. And so Paul is saying, no, no, no. 
if we're going to boast, we're going to boast in what Christ has done. That's where we find our identity. That's where our hope is because one, the battle's already been won, but two, the idea of why we boast is this is where it's idolatry and it's where I find my identity. And Paul Mm -hmm. says, no, we find our identity in Christ. So if we boast, we boast in this. Usually if we don't understand something or we think of it that it makes it sound like God's capricious in any way, that's typically because we don't see it as it was originally written or intended. And so we have to go back and see why was this. And that's why gospel communities are good because hopefully there's somebody in your gospel community that knows more than you and you can walk alongside one another. And if nobody knows, you have people in the church you can go and ask and talk to and, and resources and you can always send us questions, questions at rlmment.org. And we will help answer those questions too. This is what Paul talks about, this whole nosebleed theology. It's so high and lofty because you're looking at salvation from God's point of view. And so it's good to be able to ask these questions, especially when you get to places of not understanding. In my life, I know that life throws curveballs all the time. But as I share my life in community with other Christians they get to point out, well, what, what did God do before? Mm. Right. To remind me kind of like the entire old Testament does for us as well. Oh no, God has been good. Maybe in the moment I'm not feeling it or seeing it, but there's a track record, even in the lives of the people around me, as long as I have that community to help point me again towards the truth of what we see in scripture in who God really is. I think as we share our lives and we can keep pointing back to what we know is true from scripture, but in practical ways in our current lives. And that helps me learn um, who God's character is. I think it's a detriment of our culture because we are taught to expect everything to have a resolution in 22 minutes mm-hmm. or 44 minutes, depending on what TV show we're watching at the time. <laughs> and, and yet when you look at the scriptures, the only way that we get this whole picture of what God is doing is when you become centuries removed from the moment. Yeah. Wow, look what God was doing. Nobody in that moment realized that. The the Babylonians invade and Habakkuk's like, God, that's a bad plan. What do you know? God's like, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you and you're still not going to believe it. And he didn't believe it and he told him. It's just, and then you realize this whole diaspora is in all these places, Jesus comes, dies, rises from the grave, Paul gets saved and Paul ends up going to all of these synagogues of these people who were dispersed all the way back then and the gospel goes out. But five, six hundred years, you don't see it. it. And the same thing's true for us today. We we don't see all that God is doing in our lives and it makes it hard to trust because of Amazon. (laughs) I get my package in. Uh, Not in Santa Maria anymore. Yeah. In two to 12 days. (laughs) There has to be a fear to point it out in a community setting too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of vulnerability Mm -hmm. to speak to those things. I I think you run into two types of people. One person wants to question everything and one person is afraid to question anything. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to say when they're feeling vulnerable and left out. And the other person is just like, that's all they know what to do. And so one person could need to be a little more vulnerable and the other person could probably listen a little better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the trust got a little more, but it's, it's personalities. And that's why you have gospel communities with different types of people in them. So we can walk with one another in discipleship and growth. Is there an attachment question, attachment love question that can kind of flow out of that? I was thinking, just looking at I, that text in chapter one, right. And 
that's amazing. That's one sentence. There's so many words mm-hmm. and yeah. you could, un- I hate using the word unpack. You could unpack so many of these though, right? It's so easy to gloss over this when you're looking at just that many words, right? And it's really easy to gloss over that, but how do those things land with us? Like what kind of feelings does that evoke? Like for me reading in verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. How often do I feel holy and blameless walking through life? And if I did feel that way, what kind of feelings would that evoke? Maybe questions like that, drawing out how those scriptures actually speak to your everyday reality. Because it's easy to, I think, view those things in, in esoteric, what you say, nosebleed? Yeah, nosebleed, nosebleed terms. But really, that's our everyday reality. That's what it means to be in Christ is what Paul's speaking to. The only ticket you can afford for a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> If I, if I really think about it, I get really emotional because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's humbling. And you're just like, holy crap. What, look what God did to save me. What, what he calls me. But and isn't I, that a beautiful and, and posture? I, yeah. But, and, and it's, and I know I'm not that, right? I know I'm already not yet. I know I'm not that. You have to be really careful not to get emotional. Yeah. I know. The word careful. That was there. really interesting. <laughs> no, I do. You don't want to be like, Jesus said this. <laughs> Are you Absolutely. talking about when you're preaching? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. I think about it because if I if I let it get too deep, I I could sometimes lose it. I get that. Yeah. I don't even know who's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's the worst. <laughs> a crying pastor. <laughs> wow. I used to work for him. <laughs> really? It has its moments. It's okay. It does. So okay, but if not on a Sunday morning, like are we willing? Have that staff retreat. Kevin's the narrator. <laughs> it was all the time. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Ephesians. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing, like you're saying, and I mean, I think that's like what you're saying for this first part of. What, what? I don't think that's what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> Michelle sorry, was encouraging that the emotions were a good thing yeah. and not every week, but the power of the scripture is as we sit in the truth that God did all of the work and that he did it, even knowing what messes we were so that eventually we wouldn't be through his sanctification in us. It is it's powerful. I, I am guilty of in previous messages, looking at this stuff like that, just trying to make sure everyone either understands or like, you know, agrees and not so much of that. And do I actually really, do I not believe it in my head? Do I believe it like with all of me mm-hmm. in standing in the truth? And, and I, maybe it should lead us to more emotions day in and day out. I think that's how we help shepherd people toward the truth. I was just talking to a couple in our GC and one of the people was talking about, and this is someone that's very heady, you know, loves theology, immerses themselves in scripture. And yet I asked, I was like, well, do you feel like you're allowed to fail? And they were like, no, like absolutely not. <laughs> and, and there's just a disconnect in that. I mean, that chasm is there for each of us. That's like mm-hmm. what unbelief is. And so I think when you're actually able to trace out the implications of these doctrines to okay, am I really living in that space every day? I mean, there are so many places to explore with the people in our groups. And I tell people, you don't have to believe this the way I believe this in this reform stance of it, but do I think you'd be freer in your love of Christ? I do. But do you not believe in it this way, affect your salvation? No, but I think it leads to a freedom. 
It's probably also freeing to say, too, like no one knows the exact mechanisms behind that. Right. That's not what Paul's emphasizing. Right. But I think that's where we like to argue about <laughs> right. these kinds of doctrines. Not we. The other we. No, no. Yeah. The, 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 the thousand. thousand. The, the, the cultural divisionists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's week two of Ephesians. We'll be back next week. Uh, with so what was the big idea that people philosophy? deal with what? Oh, okay. how how do those in that text, like how do those theological truths land with you emotionally? Yeah. Yeah. Not just emotionally, but also emotionally. Reality. Yeah. Let's but dig it, deep. It's, <laughs> we'll circle back to that. <laughs>